ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we start on the section of the seerah, the chapter regarding Ibtida'ul Wahi, the beginning of the revelation. And we know that the beginning of the revelation occurred when the Prophet ﷺ was 40 years old. And that is what the author mentions here. فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً اختصه الله بكرامته وبتعثه برسالته that when the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam reached the age of 40 then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him gave him that honor that nobility of sending him as a prophet that Allah then ennobled him and honored him in sending him as a prophet, meaning in sending that opening revelation to him, that he then became a prophet by that. And this is mentioned in the hadith. There is a hadith that speaks about how this revelation first began. In Sahih al-Bukhari Min hadith Aisha radiyallahu anha Qalat Awwala ma budi'a bihi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Min al-wahi Al-ru'ya saliha finnum Fakana la yara ru'ya Illa jaat mitl fulq al-subh Thumma hubbiba ilayhi al-khala' Wa kana yakhlu bighari hira' Fayatahannath fihi وهو التعبد الليالي ذوات العدد قبل أن ينزع إلى أهله ويتزود لذلك ثم يرجع إلى خديجة فيتزود لمثلها حتى جاءه الحق وهو في غار حراء فجاءه الملك فقال اقرأ قال ما أنا بقارئ قال فأخذني فغطني حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ قلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثانية حتى بلغ مني الجهد ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ فقلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثالثة ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ اقرأ وربك الأكرم فرجع بها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يرجف فؤاده فدخل على خديجة بنت خويلد رضي الله عنها فقال زملوني زملوني فزملوه حتى ذهب عنه الرعب فقال لخديجة وأخبرها الخبر لقد خشيت على نفسي فقالت خديجة كلا والله ما يخزيك الله أبدا 
إنك لا تصل الرحم وتحمل الكل وتكسب المعدوم وتقر الضيف وتعين على نوائب الدهر على نوائب الحق فانطلقت به خديجة حتى أتت به ورقة ابن نوفل ابن أسد ابن عبد العزة ابن عم خديجة وكان امرأ قد تنصر في الجاهلية وكان يكتب الكتاب العبراني فيكتب من الإنجيل بالعبرانية ما شاء الله أن يكتب وكان شيخا كبيرا قد عمي فقالت له خديجة يا ابن عم اسمع من ابن أخيك فقال له ورقة يا ابن أخي ماذا ترى فأخبره رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خبر ما رأى فقال له ورقة هذا الناموس الذي نزل الله على موسى يا ليتني فيها جذعا ليتني أكون حيا إذ يخرجك قومك فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أو مخرجيهم قال نعم لم يأتي رجل قط بمثل ما جئت به إلا عودية وإن يدركني وإن يدركني يومك يومك أنصرك نصرا مؤزرا ثم لم ينشب ورقة أن توفي وفتر الوحي This whole hadith in Al-Bukhari right at the beginning in the chapter regarding the revelation it highlights how that revelation first began it mentions that initially the Prophet ﷺ used to see those truthful dreams that initially before the actual prophethood occurred before the actual prophethood occurred at the age of 40 that he would see the truthful dreams and this occurred for a period of six months that he would see the truthful dreams meaning that every time he had a dream it would come true just like he had that dream so he would see the truthful dreams and they are a part of revelation just like the narration mentions ar-ru'ya saliha juz'un min sittatin wa arba'ina juz'an min an-nubuwwah that the righteous dream the righteous dream it is one of 46 parts of prophecy one of 46 parts of prophecy is to see those righteous dreams, the dreams that occur as they were seen, as was happening to the Prophet ﷺ. And all of that was leading up to the actual revelation coming to him. Those righteous dreams coming true as he saw them for a period of six months leading up to the actual revelation then all of that was a means of preparation. All of that was building up to Jibreel actually coming to him and giving him the actual revelation. When that time then actually occurred, it was when the Prophet ﷺ was 40 years old. And the scholars they mention, Imam Al-Qurtubi and others, the reason for 40 is because a person's mind and maturity fully completes, gets to the, the, the completion and rounded off at the age of 40. 
It is at the age of 40 when a person fully matures and all of that mind and intellect and manhood and strength and character, it all comes together into fruition and completion at the age of 40. Before that, a person is still young. A person is still young, still learning, still maturing. But at the age of 40, then that's when a change occurs. And it's actually mentioned in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ahqaf, when Allah mentioned, حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ وَبَلَغَ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً until when he attains full strength and reaches 40 years. Mentions in the Qur'an, until he reaches his full strength. And that is when he reaches 40 years. So, there was the dreams that were occurring for a period of six months that the Prophet... would see these dreams and they would occur just as he saw them. And all of this was to prepare the Prophet so that he would not be surprised when he saw the angel Jibreel, that it would not then come as a shock without any build-up or any lead or preparation into that. So those righteous dreams were as a means of building up and leading up to that actual revelation coming. So, the age of 40, the intellect is perfected, uh, and his physical appearance also perfected, the completion of the intellect, and it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, prior to that revelation occurring, generally, anyway, used to go and worship at the cave. Even before the prophethood, he would go to Ghari Hira, to the cave of Hira, he would go to reflect and to ponder, and he was naturally inclined to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he would go there, and he would ponder and reflect upon uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the scholars, they mention how he would go and perform tawaf around the Kaaba before going. And then when coming back, he would also perform tawaf around the Kaaba. So, he would go to ponder and to reflect. He was not aware of the details of worship yet. But he would go generally in the worship pondering and reflecting over his creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So on one occasion when he was there, when he had taken his provisions, because he used to go for several days and nights at a time and stay there. Stay in the cave for several days and nights at a time. So on one occasion he had packed his items that he required, food and drink, etc. And he headed out to the mount, uh, to uh, the cave of Hira. And they say in the seerah that as he used to pack his bags and then go on the way, he would distribute some of that food to the poor from the provisions that he had prepared for himself for the cave because he was going to go for a few days and a few nights. 
that he would even then still, when he saw the poor on the way, distribute some of the food from his provisions to them. So on one occasion he went and he was in the cave, and Jibreel came to him. Jibreel came to him whilst he was in the cave. فَجَاءَهُ الْمَلَكُ فَقَالُ So Jibreel came to him in the appearance of a man. Jibreel came to him in the appearance of a man. And so the Prophet ﷺ raised his head and there was a man, i.e. Jibreel in the appearance of a man was before him. So Jibreel then squeezed him and told him to read. And Allah has mentioned about the strength of Jibreel alayhi salam. So he said to the Prophet sallallahu read. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, ma ana biqari'. I am not somebody who can read. I'm not somebody who's good at recitation. La uhsinu al-qira'a. Lastu biqari'i'ani. That I'm not somebody good at reading, I'm not proficient at reading, I'm not able to recite. So then it's mentioned how Jibreel squeezed him. Then let him go and said to him, Iqra, read, recite. Again he said, I'm unable, I'm not proficient. But again Jibreel squeezed him and told him, Iqra, read. And so... In the end, the revelation was given, the first opening ayat, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقْ اِقْرَأْ وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمْ الَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمْ عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا لَمْ يَعْلَمْ Read in the name of your Lord, who has created all that exists. He created man from a clot of blood. Read, and your Lord is the most generous. He is the one who taught you by the pen, or taught by the pen. He taught man that which he knew not. So this was the opening section of the revelation that appeared. When that occurred, the Prophet ﷺ returned back home to Khadija radiallahu anha, we mentioned already last time we got to the section that he had married Khadija radiallahu anha, that was his first wife, and he did not marry any other wife whilst he was married to Khadija. Only after she died, then he married his other wives. So he went back home to Khadija radiallahu anha, and it's mentioned how his upper chest muscles were shaking. The pectoral muscles, the chest muscles at the top were shaking from fear from this event that had taken place. That he was in the cave and suddenly this man appeared. And that man was a man of strength, Jibreel of course. And he squeezed him and let him go and squeezed him and let him go and that revelation came. So it was still, even with the preparation of the dreams occurring six months leading up to it, it was still something frightening and unusual and out of the ordinary. So he came back to Khadija radiallahu anha in a state of some fear from this great event which had occurred and his 
upper chest muscles were shaking from that event that had taken place. So he came home to Khadija and he said to her, Cover me, cover me. And so they covered him until he found some calmness in of himself. And then he informed Khadija radiallahu anha of what had just happened. And he said, لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي That I was afraid for myself. I was afraid for myself. This man just appearing, strength, squeezing him, everything. He said, I was afraid for myself. But then Khadija radiallahu anha, that woman of wisdom radiallahu anha, she said to him that, nay, Allah will never disgrace you. Allah will never abandon you. That you are the one who keeps the ties of kinship and you aid the poor and the needy and you are good to your guests, etc. All of these types of good characteristics and praiseworthy characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ. Then after that, it mentions how Khadija radiallahu anha went with the Prophet ﷺ to Waraqat ibn Nawfal. Waraqah ibn Nawfal. Ibn Asad ibn Abdul Izza, the son of the uncle of Khadija. The son of the uncle of Khadija. So basically, as we say now, the, the cousin of Khadija. The cousin of Khadija, Waraqah ibn Nawfal. And he was somebody who had become a Christian. In Jahiliyyah, he had converted to Christianity. So he had become a Christian. And he knew Aramaic. He knew the language of Aramaic. And so he used to write from the Bible in the language of Aramaic, whatever Allah willed that he would write. And he was an elderly man now and he had become blind. So Khadija said to him, Oh my uncle's son, Listen to the son of your brother. فَقَالَ لَهُ وَرَقَهُ يَا بْنَ أَخِي مَاذَا تَرَى وَرَقَ said to the Prophet ﷺ, What do you see? What did you see? فَأَخْبَرَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ ﷺ خَبَرَ مَا رَأَى So the Prophet ﷺ then told him about the event in the cave, and what happened, informed him of that, and what happened, فَقَالَ لَهُ وَرَقَهُ هَذَا النَّامُوسَ الَّذِي نَزَلَ اللَّهِ عَلَى مُوسَى أَوْ نَزَّلَ اللَّهِ عَلَى مُوسَى يَا لَيْتَنِي فِيهَا جَذَعًا لَيْتَنِي أَكُونُ حَيًّا إِذْ يُخْرِجُكَ قَوْمُكَ فَقَالَ رَسُولَ سَلَمْ أَمُخْرِجِيَّهُمْ قَالَ نَعَمْ So then, وَرَقَهُ informs him, that this is the same one who descended upon Musa alayhi salam. And then he tells him, informing him of the same that will occur to him and that your people, they are going to expel you, try to get rid of you. And the Prophet ﷺ said, will they expel me? Is that what they're going to do? Get rid of me? That's what they're going to try and do? When they find out about this prophethood, etc. He said, absolutely. Because there is not a man who has come before you with the likes of what you are coming with now, i.e. this 
wahi, this revelation, except that they had enmity towards them. There is not a man who came with the likes of what you have come with now, this revelation, except that they had enmity towards them. And then he said, if I basically live to that day, then I will aid you. Uh, and then though it mentions how Waraka actually died. Died. died, he passed away then. He passed away before the further events occurred. Um, so that is what happened initially. Initially when the revelation came. And then uh, the Prophet ﷺ going back to Khadija radiallahu anha. And then she consoled him and comforted him. And then took him to Waraqah. And Waraqah told him of that information. That this is the sign of the same prophets and messengers before. Like Musa alayhi salam. And you will find enmity from the people. And they'll try to remove you and expel you. For this revelation that you've come with now. So then after that. The author mentions. فَأَقَامَ That he remained in Mecca for 13 years. After this revelation came, he remained in Mecca for 13 years. There are even some opinions about that. Some do say it was anywhere between 10 to 15 years. But often what is narrated is that it was... 13 years. Uh, that's how long he remained in Mecca after that original revelation began. The revelation that began in the cave of Hira. A side point to mention here now then, is it therefore a sunnah to go and visit the cave of Hira? No, because Abu Hurairah went to Mount and the companions Correct. So going to the cave of Hira is not legislated. It is not a sunnah or a legislation to go to the cave of Hira. Nowadays, many of these Umrah and Hajj groups as part of their ziyarah, their trips and visits, they take you to the cave of Hira. The reality is there is no legislation in the Qur'an or the Sunnah to go and visit the cave of Hira. It's even worse when people go on this ziyarah to the cave of Hira and they end up missing one of the prayers in the haram as a consequence. Maybe the trip goes out after Dhuhr and they get delayed and here and there and they stop there and they don't get back until just before Maghrib. They've ended up missing their Asr prayer they could have prayed in the Haram to go and see Hira. Completely wrong. Completely wrong to do that. Missing a prayer in the Haram to go and visit the cave of Hira when it's not even a Sunnah to go and visit the cave of Hira. There is no legislation to do that. There is no reward to do that. 
then this is not correct. Missing the prayers in the haram to go out to a ziyara for the cave and staying there and spending the afternoon there. There are legislated and prescribed places to visit. Especially when it comes to Medina. Especially when it comes to Medina. After people do Umrah, often they go to Medina. In Medina you have the same issue, the ziyarat. They take you as part of the package to all types of places, to Badr, to here, to there, to all types of locations. Who knows how many chances for the extra reward of your prayers you're missing in the haram going out on, all of these extra excursions that don't have any sunnah to them. What are the five places that are sunnah for you to visit if you go to Medina? Of course, when you go to Umrah, there is no obligation to go to Medina in the first place. You could go to Umrah, land in Jeddah airport, go to Mecca, do your Umrah, go back to Jeddah airport, fly home. Medina's got nothing to do with Umrah. It's just one of those things, of course, in the packages, everything. You go to Medina, and there are sunnah places to visit once you're there. So once you're there, and you do happen to go, what are the five sunnah places to visit when you're in Medina? So the Prophet's mosque, obviously, yes. The Haram, Al-Masjid, Al-Nabawi, the Prophet's mosque, obviously, definitely, you go there. That is a sunnah to go there. And obviously, that's where you're going to pray. And you should pray all of your prayers there. Not that it's an authentic narration to say whoever prays 40 prayers there gets this reward and that reward and light on the day of judgment and everything they say. There is no narration like that. But the narrations do tell you every prayer is worth. Haram al-Madani. Elf. One thousand in al-Haram al-Madani. Al-Haram al-Makki, hundred thousand. So in Medina, one thousand for every prayer. So that is one place obviously and of course you go to. And you pray all of your prayers there. Where else? That's one. Four more places to visit in Medina as a sunnah. Masjid Quba. That is also a sunnah to visit. Uh, Masjid Quba. And if you're able to walk out there, as the Prophet ﷺ used to do, then that's good too. On a Saturday. On a Saturday. If you're able to do that and walk out there, then that is mentioned in the sunnah. So to go there and to pray two raka'at, then that is from the sunnah also. Where else? Is it graveyard of Uhud? The graveyard of Uhud. Shuhada Uhud. Yes. Baqi'ah. Baqi'ah. The graveyard of Al-Baqi'ah. Yes. That's four now. The Prophet's mosque. Masjid Quba. Shuhada of Uhud. Mount Uhud. The graveyard of Al-Baqi'ah. One more place that is sunnah to visit in Medina. If you're there already, they give salam to the Prophet. What do you mean if you're there already? The Prophet's grave. So you're saying the fifth place, which is Sunnah to visit, is the Prophet's grave? If you're there already. No, what do you mean if you're there already? So you, you, uh, Meaning, uh, you don't travel to go there to visit the Prophet's grave. Alright, but if you're in, you're in yeah, we're on the assumption you're in Medina now. Where upon the assumption you've done your Umrah, everything, and you go to visit Medina as all the packages do. So you're in Medina, you're there. 
So the fifth place you're saying now is to go visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and to give the salam. And the salam to his two companions, Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhumah. That's what you're saying. You said it. <laughs> you said it. So now you have backup. And it's correct. It's not in the Sunnah. 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 So if you're in Medina, to go and visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, to give salam to the Prophet ﷺ, salam upon Abu Bakr and Umar, that's yes, Sunnah. To do that. They are the five places. The scholars say the easy way to remember is, when you're in Medina, Five places that are sunnah to visit. Two mosques, three graves. Two mosques, Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi, Masjid Quba. Three graves, Uhud, Baqir, and the Prophet Sallallahu grave. To go give salam. Not like the people of innovation making dua, their shafa'ah, wasila, all things. Just to go to give salam upon the Prophet Sallallahu upon Abu Bakr and Umar, radiyallahu anhumah. And yes, you do that. Ah, some people, when you are going to Umrah and you're going to go as part of that package to Medina as well, people when they bid you farewell from your homeland, they always say, many always say, take my salam to the Prophet as well. Take my salam to the Prophet as well when you're there. What do you think about that? One of the scholars gave a very good answer for this. Sheikh Ali Nasr al-Faqih. He said, people when they say to you, take my salam to the grave of the Prophet as well, when you're there, when you give salam, give my salam as well. In the hadith it mentions that the angels take your salam to the Prophet wherever you are. Wherever you are, the angels take your salam to the Prophet ﷺ. In the narration it mentions that it reaches me, تَبْلُغُنِي أَوْ يَبْلُغُنِي مِنْ حَيْثُ كُنْتُمْ By the angels. It comes to me from wherever you are via the angels. So now Shaykh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi, he mentioned, when somebody says to you, take my salam as well when you go. He says, you've got the option of the angels taking your salam, and you've got the option of this guy going on Umrah now. This guy, he might forget, he might not even make it, something may happen on the way, la qaddar Allah. Some other issue may come up. All types of things. Why are you going to ask a human to take your salam to the Prophet when the angels, the hadith is telling you, take your salam for you? Why are you going to ask your friend to go do it for you when the angels are doing it for you? It is not a sunnah to say to people, take my salam to the Prophet when you're there. That is not a sunnah. It is not established. Nobody ever did that. Not known from the Sahaba. And the Sahaba, they spread out far and wide. They moved to, to modern day Iraq, Syria, Palestine. They lived far away from Medina. They moved and they spread out when Islam spread. Never did any of them used to say, oh, you're going to Medina, make sure you take my salam to the Prophet when you go. Not a single narration. Didn't exist. So that type of thing, take my salam, it's a bid'ah basically. It is not a sunnah to do that. 
But yourself, when you go, then yes, it's a sunnah for you to then visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and to give the salam, uh, uh, and then also the salam upon his two companions. So here in Mecca, it is not a sunnah to go visit the cave of Hira, uh, neither when you're in Hajj, nor when you're in Umrah. There's no sunnah to visit that. And in fact, a person does need to educate himself about how to spend their time when they go on Umrah or Hajj. These opportunities, they come far and spread wide. It may not be every year, every few months when you can go. It could be the only time you ever end up going. A person needs to know and educate himself on how to spend his time when he's there. Not to end up wasting it and missing out on a hundred thousand prayer because you've been out on an excursion which has no sunnah or reward in it. Same in Hajj. A person needs to understand how to do Hajj properly, where to go, what to do. In Hajj, for example, on the day of Arafah, everybody thinks you have to go to what they call Jabal Rahmah, the mountain. Everybody thinks, or many people, they spend their time on the day of Arafah, maybe two, three hours trekking through the crowds to get to the mount. And then spend a couple of hours there, then two or three hours back to their tent so they can go with their group to Muzdalifah. You've spent all day wasting it, going through the crowds, here and there, fatigue, tiredness, heat, through the crowds, pushing here, there, all types, an hour, two hours, three hours, until you get to the mountain for what? Where have you found the sunnah that you have to go to the mountain on the day of Arafah? Better for you stay where you are in your tents, make dua all day as you're supposed to do, instead of spending four hours of your day or six hours of your day for the return trip to get there and back in the first place. It is not correct, and the people there don't have a recognition and understanding of how best to utilize their time. They think the best utilization of time, usage of time, is to get to the mountain. That's the reward. That's the best thing to do on the day of Arafah. Misunderstanding. Better for you to stay where you are and use all of your time in dua. So a person needs to be educated on those types of affairs. So the author says here that the Prophet ﷺ remained in Mecca for 13 years, and it has been said perhaps 15 years, and it has been said perhaps 10 years, but what is correct is the first statement there, that it was indeed 13 years. So after Jibreel came to the Prophet in the cave, he never returned there. The Prophet was searching for how to worship Allah and Allah showed him how and sent the Qur'an down upon him. So after this, he had no need for isolation. Because initially the Prophet used to go up there to be isolated, to worship in how he knew to worship. But now the revelation had come. He had been taught. There was no need to go up there and ponder and reflect and isolate himself anymore. Now he was upon knowledge of how the worship is. So after this, he, he had no need for isolation. And it was not uh, documented that the Prophet or any of his 120,000 companions ever went to the cave afterwards. It is not narrated that a single companion ever went up to the cave afterwards. It is not narrated that this happened. Companions never went to the cave afterwards. 
And that's why these days you get some of these videos and YouTube clips and everything and they show you the cave of Hira with the signatures of companions next to it. You know how you, how you have the was here. That type of thing people do. So they show you these videos with the, the engraving into the rock of the names of the companions and they say this was such and such companion. Look, he came and engraved his name on the side. And another companion, he, he engraved his name on the side. It is not established. That is not established. It is not proven that companions ever went up there, let alone engrave their names into the side of the cave. So these types of things are not established. So the duration that he stayed in Mecca, 13 years, according to the most correct opinion, and only one branch of faith was sent down to him before the hijrah. And this was that nothing has the right to be worshipped except Allah. The point of this to indicate that the initial revelation, that 13 years of revelation, it was all focused on one topic. And that was the topic of Tawheed. It was all about Tawheed. Paradise, hell, the reward for the believers, punishment for disbelievers, the uh, obligation of monotheism, worshipping Allah upon Tawheed, abandonment of shirk and the idols. That was the core of the revelation in that first 13 years. All the other ayat in the Quran about zakat, about fasting, about marriage, divorce, all those types of ayat, they all came after the hijrah when they got to Medina. The initial revelation for 13 years was all about the Tawheed. Then after that, or towards the end of his time uh, in Mecca, we know the event of Laylatul Isra al Mi'raj when he was taken up to the heavens occurred. And that's when the obligation of a salah occurred. The obligation of the prayer then occurred uh, when the night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj occurred. And that the scholars they say was approximately three years before the hijrah. Some scholars say maybe five, maybe less. But approximately three years before the hijrah to Medina, that night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj occurred, and the obligation of the prayer was uh, mentioned and stipulated on that night. But that doesn't mean that the Prophet never used to pray before that. Scholars have mentioned that there was prayer, generally, before the night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, just not in the way that we know it now, five obligatory prayers, dhuhr, asr, etc. Not like that. But there was salah. There was a form of prayer that did used to occur. And they did used to perform. And he mentions here, وَكَانَ يُصَلِّ إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ مُدَّتْ إِقَامَتِهِ بِمَكَّةِ وَلَا يَسْتَدْبِرُ الْكَعْبَ وَيَجْعَلُهَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ it's mentioned that whilst he was in Mecca, that he would pray towards Baytul Maqdis, to the direction of Jerusalem, uh, and that he would not turn his back to the Kaaba, 
Rather, he would put that in front of him. He would not turn his back. When he prayed, he would face north. So, it, it mentions here that when he was taken to the heavens, the five daily prayers were obligated. But in the beginning, he used to face the holy house in Jerusalem. And he would face Baytul Maqdis during the prayer without putting his back towards the Kaaba. When he prayed, he would face north. And that is to stand between the corner holding the black stone and the Yemeni corner. To stand between the corner with the black stone and the Yemeni corner, that side of the Kaaba. And he faced north because Baytul Maqdis is north of Mecca. So you understand how that works? The Prophet ﷺ is at the Kaaba, and he would stand from the four sides of the Kaaba. You have the black stone corner. If you're going around doing tawaf, the next corner has what? The black stone, the black stone, that's where you start. And you're doing your tawaf in a clockwise or anti-clockwise fashion. Anti-clockwise, if you're looking from the top, you're going backwards, anti-clockwise. So as you're going along, meaning the Kaaba, when you're going around it, is always on your left. As you're going around the Kaaba, it's on your left. So now from the black stone corner where the tawaf begins, you're going around, you get to the next corner, you've gone past now, Maqami Ibrahim, the next corner has nothing. You carry on around that semicircle, and what is that semicircle there to indicate? The That's the original foundation of the Kaaba. Inside of the semicircle is considered Kaaba. You can't do tawaf inside of the semicircle next to the Kaaba. Tawaf around that semicircle because that semicircle is the original foundation of where the Kaaba went up to. So that part is considered Kaaba. So then you go around that to that corner. What's on that corner? Nothing. You go around now. So first corner was the black stone. You go to the next corner, nothing. Next corner, nothing. Last corner you come to now is the Yemeni corner. So now here, and then after that you come back and you're at the beginning in black stone corner. So between these two sides of the Kaaba. After the black stone, what do you see here? The door of the Kaaba. So now you can picture it. When you normally see the pictures of the Kaaba, it's always that angle. The black stone and the door there. Just to the right of the black stone as you look at the picture. So then to the left of the black stone as you look at those pictures down there is the Yemeni corner. So this is the side where the Prophet would stand to pray. Because that is now facing north. And that is to the direction of Jerusalem. So now by doing that, he's not turning his back. Because if he went beyond the Kaaba, beyond it facing north means the Kaaba is now Behind you. So he would stand behind the Kaaba there, facing Jerusalem, but at the same time it means you're not turning your back to the Kaaba. So that's how he would stand for that prayer. He faced north because Bayt al-Maqdis is north of Mecca. Uh, so he would put the Kaaba between himself and Bayt al-Maqdis. This was the action of the Prophet ﷺ with the direction of prayer being towards Bayt al-Maqdis initially. But as for now, and all praise belongs to Allah, the Muslims face the Kaaba for the prayer anyway. 
He also prayed towards Jerusalem for 16 or 17 months after he migrated to Medina. After the Hijrah, the direction of prayer was still Baytul Maqdis for 16 or 17 months. Then the revelation came, changing the direction of the prayer towards Makkah. And the ayat are in Surah Al-Baqarah, So turn your face to the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram. So this occurred in the month of Rajab, 16 or 17 months after the Hijrah. And that is the direction of prayer up until now. And that is what's mentioned at the end here. Uh, he mentions, وَصَلَّى إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ That the Prophet ﷺ prayed towards the direction of Bayt al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, uh, even after the Hijrah, when he had arrived in Medina, for a period of uh, approximately 17 months, maybe 16 months. So that is the chapter talking about how the revelation began. A brief story about that. And then after that, regarding the first 13 years in Mecca, and how the revelation was all about Tawheed, and then how the prayer was finally revealed two or three years before the Hijrah, and how the direction of the prayer initially was towards Jerusalem, even until after the Hijrah for approximately 16-17 months, and then the direction was changed towards Mecca. That brings us to the end of that particular chapter. The next chapter next week, insha'Allah, is about the hijrah itself. The next chapter will be the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then it moves on after mentioning the hijrah to the death of the Prophet sallallahu And then it also mentions about the children of the Prophet sallallahu and then there are more chapters to come regarding the time the Prophet made Hajj and the times when the Prophet made Umrah. How many times did the Prophet ﷺ do Umrah? Four times. And then also there's a chapter about the battles of the Prophet ﷺ. So there are still chapters about the Seerah to come yet. So next week we'll start with the chapter regarding the Hijrah, inshallah ta'ala. Also remember, there are two conferences coming up this month both on Saturdays, or Friday, Saturday, so it doesn't disturb this lesson. There is one coming up this next weekend, Friday the 15th, and Saturday the 16th of March. This Friday, Saturday, coming up now this week, in Cardiff. That one is in Cardiff, Wales. Two-day conference, all of the speakers will be there, the du'at, the students. Hassan Somali from America also coming in attendance. He's there now. So that will be an event Friday and Saturday in Cardiff this week coming. Then in two weeks after that, the leaflets are here for that one, the Liverpool one. The Liverpool conference on Saturday the 30th of March. One day conference begins at midday or so, all day till Isha time that Saturday. One day conference in Liverpool. All the speakers are going to be there again inshallah. So that is a one day conference on Saturday the 30th of March in Liverpool. And we have the leaflets for that one here. Uh, the details for the Cardiff one, they'll be online, etc. on their Twitter account and everything. You can find the details of that one there. So this weekend coming, then the last weekend of March, just a Saturday in Liverpool, inshallah. So we'll round off on that for today then. Carry on next week. 
وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين